0: book of Acts, and we are in Acts chapter 24, 25, and 26, and we're going to pass through a few chapters of some similar events that are happening, and we have started out in our journey through Acts with this compulsion from the Lord to say, what does it look like? What did it look like for that small community of people to bring the gospel to everywhere they went, and and, and how did they bring transformation? Good job, Mariners. 22 years. (laughs) He's not. He's not on the Mariners. He just looks like he's on the Mariners. Uh, anyway, as communities of transformation, how does? How did this community in the book of Acts? How did they carry the gospel of Jesus in a way that brought transformation? And then, as we're looking at that in a different context than we live in, that same threads apply. Though there are ways that we can be a community of transformation. We can be a part of communities of transformation as we are transformed by Jesus. And then we look around at the world around us and say, how do we carry this transformation into everything that we do? And so as a church, at the time when we started Acts, we were in fact coming back from a season of really wonky gathering schedules. You can gather, you can't gather, are we, what do we do, whatever. We were coming back together and we were asking ourselves, what is it that we're gonna be reformed around? And as I said last week, this whole thing with COVID and all the different things, has it, it can be a gift because we stepped back from everything And then we get to step back into life and ask ourselves important questions of before I was over busy, before I was over worried, before I had 150 different things I was doing. But as life comes back in and I step back in, what do I want to be formed around? What do I want my life with Jesus and my life with family and my life with community? What do I want it to look like? And so as we've journeyed through the book of Acts and communities of transformation, that's been our question. Now, towards the end of this story that Luke is writing in the book that became the book of Acts, It goes from this community story to a missionary story. And then for these last six or seven chapters, it is Paul's individual story of how he walked through this time of opposition and maintained his hope in the gospel, in the good news, in the way of Jesus, and was able to share that every opportunity that he got even in the midst of extreme hardship against him personally. So it's been very much a communal story, but these last few chapters, we're unpacking an individual journey. And so this morning, what God has laid on my heart is to bring it down to an individual level. So as we walk through this this morning, I believe that he's going to challenge us in some ways individually. And so let's jump in here together. Paul is carrying this as we kind of recap a little bit. Paul is carrying this prophetic word and this and and hearing the voice of the Lord for himself. He's carrying this uh, this reality of saying God is has is compelling me to share the good news of Jesus everywhere that I go. But he's also showing me and telling me that as I do this, I'm going to end up in conflict. I'm going to end up in chains. I'm going to end up in prison. And this has even been confirmed by other people who have spoken from the voice of the Lord to say, here's what's going to happen to you, Paul. Yet Paul moves forward as he is instructed with the Lord and just following the Lord. And so we have to to have this reality of Paul hearing clearly the voice of God, leading him and directing him. One thing we talked about last week, though, is that hearing God clearly doesn't guarantee a smooth life for us. It doesn't insulate us from disappointment. And there is examples over and over and over again of Paul hearing God's voice, walking it out and experiencing more conflict at every point than he would if he would have just gone his own way. So hearing God's voice is amazing, but hearing God's voice for our lives and as individuals and as a church or as a community does not guarantee that we do not face difficult things. And oftentimes it might, in fact, he might lead us in ways where there is difficulty and we have to go through hard things why because for sharing the truth of jesus it is often and we'll get into this more it is often the hope that we carry in christ in the midst of difficulty that is our greatest testimony of the truth of jesus not how we proclaim him when everything is going smoothly so hearing god for direction and expectation and this is what paul was doing is that he knew what God was directing directing him to do. He knew what to expect, but he trusted. You watch his life and you see that he trusted God with timing and he trusted God with how it would come about. And so something important to note as I'm talking about hearing the voice of God, I believe that every individual, as we are renewed in Jesus and his spirit fills us, that we are able to hear God's voice. But I also need us to understand that as individuals, hearing God's voice will be imperfect. You are not, there will be times that you hear God's voice and it'll sound a little bit more like your voice, but you will convince yourself that it's God's voice and then you will build your life around it. And then five years down the road, you will go, my goodness, maybe that was God's voice, but then I implemented a lot of my voice into it and I turned it into a directional belief or a foundational belief for my life and we have to be humble when we come to this reality of hearing God's voice while Scripture teaches us that every one of us would prophesy that means that we would be hearing from God and bringing fresh revelation from heaven it does not mean that you have to labor under this this um, this perfectionism to hear God's voice Hearing God's voice without humility leads us into pride. But as we hear God's voice, we must carry it with an open hand and we must carry it with humility. And so these are just some practical things. When Paul heard God's voice, he didn't immediately go and say, this is what God is saying. It actually came about later when we looked at the previous chapters. It actually came about later when he was facing great challenges that he was like, you know what, everybody? God kind of told me that I would be facing these kinds of challenges. So he, 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 he hid that in his heart and he held on to it. Another thing that Paul did is that there was pr- people who were trusted in the community who confirmed when he, what he was hearing, and that was an encouragement to his heart. And so for us personally and practically, if we are hearing God, that we would take those things that we are hearing from the Lord and we would hold them in private confidence with the Lord, and we would say to him, God, would you bring confirmation to this? for my life, for my faith, for my journey, and that we would have trusted people that we share it with. I would encourage you even to have a journal or, or someone very close that you trust with that you could say, I think this is what God is speaking to my heart. And whether that's a word of identity, whether that's a word of encouragement, or whether that's a word of direction or a word of warning, that you would hold that in your heart, that you would mark that, you would journal it or or hold on to it for that place, that purpose of being able to say, God, if this is from you, I don't wanna just go, Bing, I think God told me to do this. I'm I, off I go, as opposed to the humility of saying, God, I believe this is what you're speaking to my heart, my family, you're speaking this to my marriage, my direction, my ministry, whatever it is. And I want to hold on to it, but I would ask, Lord, that you would bring confirmation to that in my life. And so that's what Paul did, and I would encourage you to do that. I would also say this, hearing God's voice and being directed by him, it isn't about knowing events or even destinations. It's about peace that you carry. When you, when you are with Jesus, when you are in his presence, when, you, when he is communicating to you, it is not about this is gonna happen, then this is gonna happen, then this is gonna happen. It is about the peace that you gain to be able to walk through the things that are ahead of you. Does that make sense? So John 16, Jesus says this and we and we reference this verse often I love it I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that in this world in this life you will face difficulty and you will face troubles and in those difficulties and in those troubles I am not going to tell you what they all are I am not going to tell you what to do in every single one of those situations but I am telling you this why so that, you have, so that you have prophetic knowledge of what's happening? No, I'm telling you this so that you would have peace. And so the reality of us hearing the voice of God personally or corporately is that we would have peace, not just foreknowledge of what is going to be happening in our life. Hearing God's voice And being imperfect, that it can be imperfect, and we understand that, is that we would use our opportunity to hear God's voice to pursue peace and to carry peace. Sometimes, I will say this, sometimes we so deeply want to hear God's voice as a directive of like, God, what do you want me to do? Because we want to take the responsibility off of us to walk through life in such union with Him that we carry peace no matter what comes, to offloading that responsibility to steward our heart towards peace and our spirit towards peace, to being like, God, if you would just tell me what to do, if I could just hear your voice and you would give me instructions, I would be at peace. And He says, if you would hear my voice and know me, you would be at peace. And so I believe that it is healthy that we would say, oh God, I want a relationship with you where I have that, that. And when I'm saying hearing God's voice, I'm talking about however you want to quantify it. Your heart, your spiritual man, your spiritual person, being able to, to um, quote unquote, hear from the Lord. Not audibly, but those directives and the, the heart of God and that revelation of him. And, and I don't want us to just mistake it, spiritualize it and go, how, how incredible it is that that person has such a hunger to hear the voice of God when in reality it could be built on a lack of trust and a lack of peace that we so desperately want to hear God's voice because we don't want to have to walk through hard things without understanding what's happening without his peace. We just want God to tell us what to do right basic parenting at when my children are young I tell them what to do as they grow into maturity I I partner with them for them to decide what to do and to learn to take responsibility for the decisions that they make and as the Lord leads us into spiritual maturity we may get stuck going God tell me tell me tell me tell me when he's really just saying, carry my peace and walk forward if you know my voice you know me You'll know my voice and you will carry peace. In this life, you will face troubles. But I'm telling you this so that you know what's coming? No, I'm telling you this so that you will have peace. And so all of this is to say, Paul is exhibiting this reality for us as we're looking at his story. What does it look like to be a person who, one, hears God's voice, has prophetic inclination of what is coming, has had those prophecies Confirmed and is now walking out the difficulty of carrying the truth of the way of Jesus into the culture and into the places that he's called to go. What does it look like to carry peace when things are falling apart or seemingly falling apart around you? And that's what brings us to Acts 24, 25, and 26. So to recap, and the reason I'm lumping them all together is these stories are... If, I know you guys are reading this, these, but they are uh, important for us to get, but we can get through a lot of it by looking at them in some of these bigger jumps. So Acts 23, at the end of Acts 23, the Roman leadership in Jerusalem is trying to figure out what to do with Paul. And so they, uh, they sent him to Caesarea in ancient, it's an ancient port, it's an administrative city of the Romans, and they sent him over there to the governor of Judea, who was, his name was Felix. And so he was the the one that Paul was gonna go share his case to because in Jerusalem the local leaders, the Roman leaders could not figure out what to do with Paul. And so he was causing all of these this the people were having riots, there was beatings, there was all of this was happening there. We don't know what to do with you, so we are going to send you to the governor of the region. And so that is where we pick up the story in Acts twenty four. So this, Acts 24, is Paul's trial before the governor, whose name was Felix. And unfortunately, nothing was decided, nothing was decided before the governor in this situation. But... Felix heard the good news of the way of Jesus. And so Paul was able to stand before him and say, here's the reality of Jesus. Here's why I'm here. And while nothing was decided, he was able to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Acts 24, if you want to pick up verse 22 with me, then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, which is the, the, the truth of Jesus, adjourned the proceedings. And he says this, when Lysias, the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. So here's Paul continually sharing the truth of Jesus. Verse 25, as Paul talked about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid, and he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. And so Paul is like, okay, Felix, this, it's, it's all for Felix. If we can get this leader the Roman governor to convert to the way of Jesus, it will all be worth it. God, clearly, this is the moment that you have brought us to and Felix is gonna be the one who turns to you and it's gonna change an empire. This is where you've been leading me. But nothing happens. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus another governor. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So Paul sharing with Felix, Felix is coming all the time to hear the good news of Jesus. And he's thinking this is it. And he ends up in prison for two years. So Acts 25 then picks up his trial before Festus. Festus got to hear the good news of Jesus but once again, nothing was decided. In fact, the people who were accusing Paul came from Jerusalem and they said, Festus, you know what? You don't know what to do with Paul. Why don't you send him back to Jerusalem and we will put him on trial in Jerusalem? But the reality was is that they were plotting to kill Paul on the way. So Paul's life is at risk. This there's, is there's the second or third in our, just in the last six chapters that we've seen people trying to kill Paul. And so because of this, Paul requests a trial in Rome. He doesn't want to be sent back to Jerusalem, and he's like, that's not a healthy solution, so I demand as a Roman citizen to be placed on trial in Rome. If you pick this up in Acts 25 verse 9, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? And verse 10, Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried as a, as a Roman citizen. I have not done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. Verse 11, if, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. This is the big, like, oh my goodness, he appealed to Caesar. All right, we got to send him to Caesar. So he had this trial before Festus. Nothing was decided. But if you read this, that chapter, you'll see here's Paul again. Proclaiming the good news of the way of Jesus and standing not for himself, but standing for the truth of who Jesus was. And then you go on into the, into the latter parts of Acts 25 and Acts 26. And he has a trial, sort of a trial, a hearing before King Agrippa, who was the king of the Jews at the time. And so Festus is going to send Paul to Rome regardless of the outcome, but he doesn't know what to say about Paul. So he gets King Festus who understands as Jewish, understands this, uh, the culture and the reality of it. And he's like, let's hear Paul. And maybe you can tell me, I can write a letter based on what you tell me and I will send Paul to, to Rome. And so the next day, Acts 25, 23, uh, Agrippa came with great pomp, and he entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Okay, God. So this has to be the moment. This is the king. This is all of the important people. These are the commanders of culture. You are putting me before them. Surely this is the moment that great revival breaks out and all of this will be worth it. All the two years in prison, all the beatings, all of the things, this is going to be the moment. And So Paul shares his testimony of Jesus before Agrippa. Wondering, is this the moment That it all pays off. Acts 26, Paul says, Agrippa, you believe, right? After he shares his entire story of how he came to be where he is and all of the things that have taken place and all the things he did, both persecuting the church, but also expanding and being a missionary to the Gentiles and the miracles that he saw and the way that Jesus intercepted him and changed his life. He shares all of these things, but he's also sharing from the covenant, from the old covenant and the, the Old Testament scriptures, he's sharing who Jesus is, the Messiah. And he goes, he goes Agrippa, you believe, right? You, you got this. You understand what I'm saying. And Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus? And Paul replied, short time or a long time? Love that. He had that, he had that long game perspective. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, a follower of Jesus, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor, and Bernice, and those sitting with him. And after they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or even imprisonment. And Agrippa said to the governor, to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar we're going to unpack that a little bit more next week. But he says, this man could be set free, except that he appealed to Caesar. Now we understand he had to appeal to Caesar because there was that inclination that going back to Jerusalem meant imminent death. And I believe that God has spoken to me to tell me that I will testify of him even in Rome. And so it, it, Paul is going a different way and not just only caring for self-preservation. This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And I want us to not, again, not turn Paul into some kind of superhero, but imagine with me the disappointment that Paul must have been dealing with. There was no revival. There was no shift that had taken place. It turns out that he didn't even need to go to Rome. And here he is facing another indefinite imprisonment as he moves on into the latter chapters of the book of Acts. So embrace with me, this reality of going, man, how does he feel? How does it feel right in this moment? And I wanna give us some takeaways from this chapter. First one is this, how is he navigating delay and disappointment? When great expectations are disappointed, how does Paul navigate them? Remember, he went before Felix thinking, this is surely the moment. He went before Festus, this is surely the moment. King Agrippa, this is surely the moment. Nope, you get more imprisonment in Rome. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's this next moment. Maybe it's this next moment. Maybe this is the door that's going to open for me. This is, maybe this is the thing where all that I've walked through is going to be worth it because, boop, this one thing shifts or this one thing changes. And after two years, what does he have to show for it? Is a journey on a boat to Rome that we'll talk about next week that ends up crashing. How is he navigating the delays and the disappointment? In Proverbs 13, 12 is a verse that we all maybe have heard, we've spoken it, we've shared on it. And um, Proverbs being a book of wisdom, but it says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But Paul, instead of ending up with a sick heart in these deferred dreams and in these deferred promises and in this belief that God, you're using my life for a greater cause, Paul learned. To be content. And he showed that contentment. And another verse that you have often heard, I want you to understand how it ties in with this story of Acts is Philippians 4, 11 and 12. And Paul is talking about his material and physical needs, but it gives you a reflection of his heart and the wisdom that Paul carried that allowed him to walk through so many disappointments and letdowns to be able to say, I am not letting my heart get sick because the hope that you have called me toward isn't happening. The way that I expected it to happen. And it says this: No, not that I have ever, that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live with almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. How did he come to this place of contentment? And again, he's speaking in that reference to his physical needs, but you see it present in how he's navigating this current trial that we see at the end of Acts here's a couple things that I would propose to you and share with you that I believe we see in Paul is that he remained faithful and ready to give an answer for the hope that he carried. And we've talked about this over the last few weeks as such a beautiful example of the power of the good news of Jesus is the hope that he proclaims every single moment. So he was remaining faithful in those private times remaining faithful in those years in prison remaining faithful in all of those things and so the moment came that he was ready to share to felix he was ready to share before festus he was ready to share before agrippa he was ready to share before all the leaders of culture and after all that he'd been through after multiple years in prison he didn't get up there and go god this sucks (laughs) i've lost my faith That that would be me You see a faithfulness to the cause and to the truth that he is feeding on it so that when the opportunity comes, he is ready to share it and to proclaim it. And he is telling the same story as the same man who walked this intense journey over and over and over. And so you see this faithfulness present in Paul's heart and in his message, no matter who he shared it with. What's the point of his faithfulness? When dreams and desires and things that we are believing for stall out in our life, do we bail? Do we eject? Do we grow angry or bitter or entitled? Does our life message change? Paul's life message didn't change and he did not become bitter or frustrated or angry. He remained ready. To give an answer for the hope that he carried in jesus that was his faithfulness on display while he was waiting he was creating a more effective testimony than he was realizing and this is a little aside but it is such a profound reality is that during the imprisonment in in Caesarea and during the imprisonment in Rome is when Paul was writing so many of his letters and corresponding with the churches and the communities of people that he had planted as a missionary. And in those correspondences, the gospel has gone out around the world in such a deeper and more profound and powerful way than what he was probably expecting was that I'm going to stand before Agrippa and people are going to come to know Jesus and Oh, but I'm in prison. I guess I'll just take care of the people who I love and I will write these letters and I will send them out. But this is the secondary work. The primary work is, God, how are you gonna use me on that stage to see people's lives changed? Oh, I'll write these letters over here. And what truly takes place is that the greater work that God was accomplishing was done through those letters than was ever done through his moments on the stage. And the lesson that we learn in that is that life is happening right in front of us. And when we believe that God isn't showing, up, isn't being faithful, our promises aren't coming through, the things we expect aren't happening, we're stuck in this stall, and so we just sit down and throw a fit. Instead of just being faithful in the small things and the life is going on right in front of us and we need to engage it, we may find that the things that we believe are inconsequential or secondary are truly the things that carry our testimony of Jesus more powerfully than anything else that we thought we were supposed to do or the way that it was supposed to look. And so we see these letters that Paul wrote that make up the Bible, so much of the New Testament, that has carried the gospel around the earth. I'll say it again. It's often, listen, I loved this sentence. I wrote it and laughed. It's often what you're doing while you're not doing what you imagined you'd be doing that has the greatest impact. It's... (laughs) it's often what you're doing while you're not doing what you imagine you'd be doing that has the greatest impact said another way stop waiting to show up for the life that is happening stop waiting and show up for the life that is happening around you right now for Paul this side task this less primary thing became the greatest tool of the gospel how often I believe will we look back on the seasons where we were fixated on disappointment And we were fixated on not making it to certain destinations and outcomes that we believe that God is taking us to only to be surprised that the peripheral stuff was where he was truly at work. And that was what really mattered to God and was used by him as we stay faithful and connected to God in the waiting, in the stall and in that prison. The application I have for us this morning for these next 10 minutes is this. Do we, have, do we have idols in our lives? You'd be like, no, we don't have idols. I don't have like little figurines in my house that I, that I bow down to. And... But here's what I would say. I have idols in my life and you have idols in your life because when we take an idol of expectation, we take an idol of God, it's gonna be this way. We take an idol of a promise that he has spoken to us or something like that. We can make an idol of the desires and the expectations that we have for our life or that we have from God. We bend our life to them. We build our lives around them. We place our hopes in them. We believe in them. That is what an idol is. And we have to be careful that we are not allowing the expectations that we have for the use of our life or the purpose of our life or the whatever of our life. And when things aren't happening, that we are not living a life of going, God, I am more focused on this idol of disappointment or what didn't happen than I am focused on you. And Isaiah, Isaiah has this great rebuke of people in their idol worship, it's in Isaiah 44. And he says this, no one stops to think. No one has the understanding to say this. And there he's talking about someone holding on to a a, a log of wood. He says, no one has the knowledge to say this. Half of this wood I used for fuel in my fire. Half of it I baked bread over the coals. I roasted meat over half of it and I ate. And now I'm gonna take the other half and I'm gonna make an idol out of it, out of what was left. Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads them. He cannot save himself or say, it is not this thing, is not this thing in my right hand a lie. And I believe this morning that the powerful reality of what we want to do this morning is to take a look at the disappointments, the frustrations, the stalls, the reroutes, that we are fixating on and we are starting to build our life around being let down and being disappointed in God. And we want to let go of those things, look at the things that we're holding on to and say, is this not in fact a lie that I'm holding on to? And that in that, that we would be able to release those things to the Lord. And I know that a lie is such a strong word. So don't hear what I'm not saying. And we'll get there in just a minute. But sometimes, even God's directions, even things that we believe are God's promises, even things that we believe are gonna happen for our life, we can build our life around them and we fixate on them and we grip them and we will not let them go. And this morning, I am challenging us to be willing to let some of these things go. When I was a kid, we lived near Bear Creek River. Uh sorry, it's not a river, it's a creek. Bear Creek Creek. Sorry, sorry. Redundancy. And they would, uh, and, and my parents would say, oh, yeah, you can go down and play, but you probably don't want to play in the river. It's not the cleanest river, creek, creek, whatever. It's not the cleanest creek. You don't want to play in it. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Thanks, Mom and Dad. So I'd go down, and we would, like, trek through it, and we'd play in it, and we'd build dams and do all kinds of fun stuff. And, and one day I decided to hike up the river, and you, know, and, you know, there's some cow pies here and there. No big deal. That's what creek uh, keeps fish healthy, right? And so we're walking up the, the creek, and then we start to smell something man something stinks and we walk a little further up and sure enough in the middle of the creek f- f- upstream from where we've been playing all day is a, is a dead bloated cow <laughs> now we understand why we were told not to play in the water <laughs> because that dead bloated cow was leaking all kinds of gross stuff into the water and it was flowing downstream. Got it? Yeah. It was bloated and it was stinky. As the Lord was reminding me of that story, he was saying to me, that's what a dream, a destination, a desire that is unfulfilled that I'm holding on to is leaking disappointment into every part of my life because it's upstream of me and it's pouring out all of that disappointment into everything else. And I want us this morning to surrender our desires and our expectations that are making our hearts sick. And I'm not saying that you need to repent for having hopes and desires. You're not, it's not a failure thing of like, don't have hopes. and des-. Ryan said to give up all hope. <laughs> That's what I heard. All your hope is leaking disappointment into your life. Get rid of it. That's not what I'm saying are all cows bad? No. (laughs) Is a dead cow in a river bad? Yeah, that's not good. So are all hopes bad? No. Are hopes that have been disappointed, that have become accusations against God, that are leaking disappointment into every area of your life, are those bad? Yes. Are all hopes bad? Absolutely not. So the point of surrender, the point of yielding, the point of what we are sharing and singing this morning is not that we are wrong to hope, but when we are hoping for something or in something that is deferred, it is delayed, it has been detoured, God is asking us sometimes to let it go. If this hope is not fulfilled, does it lead to accusation and false narratives? And that's how we know that an unfulfilled hope is becoming toxic to our life, is that when it isn't fulfilled, we go, God, this becomes an accusation against your character, against your nature, against your intention and your desire, or it becomes an, an accusation against my worth. And that is not a hope that we need to be holding on to. It is a dead hope that is leaking toxins into your heart. Yielding to the Lord means that we understand that while we have words and we have inclinations and we have dreams and we have prophetic pictures and we have all of those things, yielding to the Lord is understanding that things shift and things change and that in this reality of God and free will and how it all works together, the belief that we had or that we started out with or the direction that we went because of this hope or this desire wasn't wrong. But as things have shifted and changed, I don't get to hold on to it indefinitely, especially if it's making my heart sick. And we've talked about this a hundred times, but a very quick example. When, when God said, hey, I, I believe that God spoke to my heart. Not like the first time I saw Kate. I'm not one of those weird guys that we talked about that was like, yeah, I'm gonna marry you, are my wife. I mean, if you've done that, that's awesome. But I, I was, it wasn't that way. I, I mean, I... <laughs> That would be fine, but I'm not. And anyway, seeking the Lord, sincerely seeking the Lord. I felt like God said, "This is your this, you guys are to be married. This is your wife. And, and yet, does that, does that supersede her ability to decide what she wants and what she desires? And when she decided that she desires and that God was leading her in a different way, I had to come to a faith conundrum, of course, and I had to wrestle through that. But the, my point is, is that I felt like I had a clear word from the Lord, but it didn't mean that it was a decided outcome the moment that I got it. And if I didn't release that defeated hope, I would have been feeding on bitterness and accusation towards God's character for the rest of my life. But it was in the quiet of that room where I was able to wrestle with God and let go of that hope and let it be buried and say, God, if you choose to resurrect this, it's on you, it's not on me, keeping it on life support. You cannot resurrect what I will not let die. And so it was in the releasing that I was no longer drinking from a stream of bitterness. And I was able to go a different way and become the man that he called me to be. In fact, I became the man that God was bringing to Kate when I never would have been that man before. You guys know that story. We use it around here too much. But (laughs) as things shift and change, we have to be able to yield to God. When your plans, hopes, dreams, and desires don't come to pass, Do you get angry at God or do you use that as a moment of humility to get on your face before him and go, not my will, but yours be done. I yield to you. Or do we sit at that intersection with our hands crossed, laying on our horn, yelling at God? Figuratively. (laughs) And you may be saying, wait a minute. This is in in church. I like, oh. Oh. I like the rah-rah message where the guy stands up or the woman stands up and says, renew your hopes and your dreams and your desires. It's time to grab onto them again with renewed fervency and believe that God is going to do the things that he says he's going to do. Renew your hope, rah-rah-rah. And here I am this morning going, You got some things that you're holding on to that are leaking toxin into your spirituality and into your relationship with God. You need to get them out of your system and out of your life. You need to let them go, let them die, let them move on. And it is time for us to stop feeding on accusation against God and against his heart, against his character, and to just release those things. Now, it sounds so easy. And it's really not. But it is. It would be much easier to just go rah, rah, rah. All those promises, those prophetic words, those desires you had, they're all gonna come to pass. Just hold on a little bit longer. But what I'm doing is I'm subjecting you to another six months, six years, 60 years of living with something that is leaking hopelessness and toxins into your relationship with God. How did Paul do it? He managed his disappointment. He stayed faithful. He showed up and he held the prophetic words and the things that he believed were gonna happen with an open hand and he yielded to God. And every time it didn't work out the way that he expected to, he just said, okay, God, it is about you. It's not about me. It is your message, not my message. And I am gonna continue moving forward. Hear me say this. You are not giving up on the thing or the outcome. You're giving up on the hope that has been so deferred that it's making you sick. Do you understand the difference? And I want you to wrestle with the difference. I'm not asking you to give up on the thing. In fact... Proverbs 13 says 13:12 13, says this hope deferred makes the heart sick but the desire fulfilled is a tree of life. A hope is an expectation but a desire is a reality of recognizing my needs and my wants and giving them to God. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Have your desire. Hold your desire. Say God this is what I want. But I'm not holding it in a place of an idol in my life where it has become my hope. And I'm giving it over to you again. I'm laying it down before you, believing that if that desire comes to pass, it will become a tree of life for my relationship, my marriage, my school, my family, my workplace. Expectations is that I I have this hope, God, that you're going to do this. And if you don't do it, I'm disappointed. That's an expectation that we've placed on God, but a desire is an invitation to God. to say, here's the desires of my heart and I'm inviting you into them. And I'm not gonna make it into something where you have to jump through a certain hoop to please me. To close our eyes for just a moment, minute, can you guys sit with this? you're asking yourself of like, God, I was so sure that this is what you spoke to my heart. I was so sure this is what you spoke to my life. I was so sure that this was the door that you were opening for me. I was so sure that this was going to take place. And now that outcome isn't happening. I'm finding myself getting angry and and my heart is getting sick and and I'm hurting. And I just want you to be okay. I want to speak grace over you. We can miss it sometimes. Maybe our hopes clouded his voice or maybe things have changed or maybe the timing or the free will of others has conspired to change that potential outcome and it's okay. I don't know. And I'm not gonna try to know. And I don't know if you should try to know either. I think you just need to be able to tell the difference in your life between a living cow and a dead cow. Is that hope and dream that you're holding on to? Is it alive and well? Is it healthy to hold? Is it bringing life to you? Is it keeping you moving moving towards God and towards the things that he has for you? Or are you holding this thing in your right hand that is dead and you need to let it go? I'm asking you to let go of the hope that you have placed in that thing and replace your hope into Christ, not having to give up on that thing. That's a desire and it belongs to him. But so does your hope. Jesus We thank you for these opportunities to be together as a community. We thank you for the examples that you give us in your word that we can study and see and and even draw out applications and not knowing exactly what Paul was going through. And obviously we can't, but you're showing this man to be faithful. Through all of these steps of his journey, and he had something in his contentment that allowed him to be able to give an answer for the hope no matter where he found himself. And so, God, would you bring us into a new anointing, a new level of contentment in our life where we are able to look at some of the things that we're holding on to that are no longer bringing us life, and as much as it hurts, that we would let them go so that we can hold on to you and believe in God that if those are from you and if those are for you, you are the God who resurrects. And so we choose to walk into the tomb as hard as it is and carry some of these things that we've been lugging around our life with hope that are dead and we lay them in the tomb. And like Mary and Martha, we just say, if Jesus is coming, He may have a different plan when he gets here. But this is the reality that I'm in right now. And that we would let those things go. And that we would remove our hope from these outcomes and these scenarios and these moments and we would place it back fully into you. And we yield to you and to your purposes for our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Hey, awesome. Um, I took some extra time. Ideally, we would sit for a long, 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 long time with that word, And um, and so you're welcome to stay in this room. We're we'll turning on some music. Communion is available. If you wanna talk and, and chat and catch up with people, we encourage you to do that. But let's do it in the lobby. I just dropped a extremely, extremely challenging word on all of us. And so if you need some space to process that, to pray, to just listen to some music, please stay in this room. Um, I'll be around if you wanna chat or other people on the team are here. Um, releasing and laying down hope. Yo, it, it, it's... Okay, you guys get it. Love you guys so much. Have a great morning.